0: Hi, thanks for joining this week's podcast with Pastor James Jones of the Divergent Church. We hope you will be blessed by the message you are about to hear. If you would like some more information about the church, please feel free to reach out via email at divergentcog at AOL.com or go over and check out our website, divergentcog.com. Thanks for listening. We hope you have a blessed day. So this morning, let's let's get after it this morning. We're going to get to part two of this message we didn't finish last week. We started last week talking about sanctified and what it is to be sanctified and sanctification. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1 through 12, the same text we had last week. We're going to look at some other verses as well this morning, but we're going to start here in the same text as last week, talking about this idea of sanctified, this terminology of sanctified. What does it mean and how do we get to that place and what does it mean to us? when we are on that path so to be sanctified to be set apart let's immediately go to the scripture this morning 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 1 through 12 says this finally br- finally then brethren we urge and exalt sorry we urge and exhort in the lord jesus that you should abound more and more i told you last week that phrase is important and we are going to come back to it, abound more and more, just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel, Now you know that we are vessels of clay. We are to possess our own body, our own life, our own witness. We should be able to be in control of who we are. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but to holiness. Therefore he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. Verse 9, But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another, And indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia. Here we go again though. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. That you will also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. That you may walk properly toward those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. Now just a quick recap from last week. We talked about the church needs to be different. When the church, I'm sorry, when we cannot see a clear difference between the church and the world, we reach a place of great peril. When there is not a stark contrast between the things of the world and the things of God, then we have blurred the line somewhere along the line. God has not blurred the line. And we are losing that sanctification as it were, that consecration, that being set apart, that identity of who the church is. The people of God are to be sanctified, set apart, consecrated, made holy for holy purposes. And when we're sanctified, the atmosphere is different. The people are different. Everything is different because it is set apart. And we're called out to be different. We're called by God. We also talked about last week, I can't just add a little bit of Jesus into my life. And we related it to like a marriage comparison. You know, I, I went to the altar, I said the words, we did the vows, we made the kiss, and now, all right, I'm, you're bound to me. I can do whatever I want to do. No, that's not how marriage works. That's not how it works. Nor is that how a life with Jesus Christ works. I prayed a prayer, God's hands are tied. I have to go to heaven no matter what I do from now on. No, no, no. That's not salvation. That's false conversion. And that's what the devil loves to do. A little bit of what we would call a a Christian uh, inoculation Give you a little bit of Christianity, but not enough to really change you. Not enough to really affect you. You you know when they uh, give uh, children the immunization shots? You know what they give them? They give them a little bit of the virus. Not enough to infect them. Not enough to make them sick. But enough that their body fights it off when the full force of it comes. That's what Satan loves to do with people. Give them a Christian inoculation. Just a little bit. Not enough to really affect them, but that when the real thing comes, they fight it off. Oh, that's just judgmental. Oh, that's just legalistic. Oh, that's just... God doesn't do... Because we miss the real thing. You see, there's a sanctification process. There's a part of me being set apart where I grow, where I learn, where I develop, where I'm changed. I don't think like the world thinks. I don't behave like the world behaves. None of us should. That's called being sanctified. We can't just add a little Jesus into my life. If He's not Lord of all, then He's not Lord at all. If I'm telling Him what He can be in charge of, then I'm the boss. And that doesn't make Jesus Christ Lord. But if He is Lord of all, then I have fully surrendered to Him and come under His lordship and under His authority. Does that mean I'm perfect? No, I will still make mistakes. But when I make those mistakes, I know who to run to. I know who to return to. I know how to turn back to Him. So how are we to be sanctified? And we touched on this last week. We looked at uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 and 2. It talked about being sanctified by the Spirit of God. And the purpose of that was for obedience. Now, this is where people get lost in sanctification. Does that mean I have more of the Holy Spirit? No. That means the Holy Spirit has more of you. See, God, when you come to Jesus Christ and when you truly surrender your life to Him, God f- fully wants to give Himself to you, fully wants to grow you up. But then when we draw the line and we decide, all right, this is as close as I want to get to God, and we start doing our own thing, the Holy Spirit is still there. God hasn't said, well, you can only have a little bit of my spirit. He's saying, you can have it, but you've got to come get it. I'm not, I'm not throwing myself on you. You've got to be ready for that. You've got to so. The thing about it is it's not as though I earn more of the Holy Spirit or I'm more spiritual than somebody else. Because a lot of times in churches we've we've got to this place of, well, if somebody's more spiritual then they're just better. No, that means they've humbled themselves. They're serving God. If they're chasing after God, don't do exactly what they do, but take the cues from it. Humble yourself, chase after God, seek His face, allow Him to be Lord. And I promise you the closer you get to Him, the closer He gets to you. And the closer He gets to you and the closer you get to Him. The more you're changed, the more you're set apart. Your your thoughts are changed. Your your mindset is changed. Your desires are changed. Your reactions are changed. Everything about you has changed. You know why? Because you're being sanctified. You're being changed. You're being set apart. You see, to be sanctified, we are changed by the Spirit of God. And we are changed by the Spirit of God as we open to the Spirit of God. As we open to the Spirit of God, God comes into our lives. And When we close the door, He waits. He desires to come into our life, but if we'll not allow Him, then we are the ones who lose out. But the moment we open the door, He comes into our life because we surrender more to Him and we've become changed by His Spirit for the obedience to Jesus Christ. And it happens from the inside out, not vice versa. We talked about this last week too. And this is right about the place where we wrapped up. A change happens on the inside first. I don't just... Go to church and do church things and say church things and walk around and, oh, I love Jesus. There's far too many people. I, I, and I've learned, <laughs> praise God, I've learned, not to engage such people. I had the opportunity this morning to engage one. And the idea is when you take a stand for righteousness and not accusing people or pointing a finger, you just say, this is wrong. And then somebody comes along and says, well, it doesn't affect me, so it's not really wrong. How does it not affect you? You know, I've seen the burying my head in the sand thing before. I've seen people who do that. It's not a good position to be in. When you look at the world around us and you see sin, sin is sin. You can't say, oh, well, you know, but it makes people feel better. Oh, well, it doesn't really affect me. No, no, it it most certainly affects you. It affects you because if you're going to let them go to hell and their blood is going to be on your hands, trust me, it affects you very deeply. And what happens is when you have people in the church who will say, I'm Christian, I follow Jesus Christ. I mean, And it's not just one instance, it's across the board. Man, we love to shoot our own this week, and, and I haven't looked into it much. I'm going to look into it more, but this week an incident happened, you know, inside the church. Uh, many of you know there's a, a quite uh, popular preacher, John MacArthur. And I love his study. I love his research. I, I, I haven't seen anybody who can research like this guy, but I don't agree with him on everything. And many of you have heard of Beth Moore, and I haven't really seen a lot of her stuff, but I've heard good things about her. Well, evidently, you know, there was this panel discussion, and somebody said, John MacArthur, two words describe Beth Moore, and he said, go home. And because his mentality is he believes women should not preach and teach because he says, show me a biblical reference. Well, this is what happened. That's literally what he said in a nutshell. Now, I haven't read it all, so I can't speak to this. But what I have seen is pastors in our own city and pastors who I've been connected with in other cities around the state have come on and said, John MacArthur said women should be home sweeping floors, washing dishes, and watching kids. He didn't say that. But what are we doing? We're attacking each other. And in the Word of God, doesn't Paul say, if somebody is wrong, and we're doing it on Facebook, we're doing it in the world. The world is watching the church. Oh, let's just bite at each other here. And what did Paul say? Isn't it better to be wronged than to take this into the world and contaminate our witness? I'm paraphrasing, of course, but that's what he says to the Corinthians. They were were taking lawsuits to one another, taking each other to the heathens, to judges to sue one another. This is no different. We're defaming and destroying each other publicly on the internet out there for everybody to see it and the church is biting at each other. What do you think Satan is doing right now? That's exciting to him. Let me destroy their witness a little more. Let me discredit them a little more. And people have gotten so used to jumping on a bandwagon because they want to be heard. Not that they have something to say. They just want to be heard. And there's a big difference. When you're sanctified, you don't care about being heard. All you care about is following Jesus Christ as closely as you can. And if He tells you to speak, you speak. And if He tells you to be still, you be still. But you are following Him and you understand that. That's the sanctification process. The church isn't sanctified in our day. The people of God are not sanctified in our day. We're not set apart from sin. We're not appalled by sin. We want to say, well, it's okay. You know, if they want to do it, let them do it. You're saying... If they want to go to hell, let them go to hell. No! I can't accept that. I can't. And when I say speaking against sin, I don't say speaking against people, well, you're a lesser person than me, looking down my nose and so on and so forth. Church, there is something happening. God is stirring something up. And if, we, if the church is not careful, they'll, they'll miss it. You see, when Jesus Christ came, who missed it? The people of God. When Jesus Christ came... It was the people of God who missed it because they were so caught up in ritual, tradition, and what they do, they missed the heart of the Word, the heart, the spirit of who God was. And when God stood before them, they didn't recognize Him. If Jesus stood before His church today, would the church recognize Him? Or would we say, no, no, Jesus, that's that's too legalistic. No, 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 what do you mean go and sin no more? You can't tell her that. It might hurt her feelings. What do you mean, sell all your possessions and follow me? Jesus, don't you understand? We need money today, okay? You can't tell that guy that. Would he be accepted in the church today, I wonder? You see, if we're not sanctified, if we're not set apart, if we start thinking the way the world thinks, and this is what happens when the idea and the culture of the world around us creeps into the church. That's when you get to that place where we first said there's no clear difference between the church and the world and it brings great peril. Because we start to philosophize and reason like the world reasons. Well, my feelings are more important than truth. I'm not saying your feelings aren't important, but truth is truth. A child who needs to learn not to touch a hot stove might get his feelings hurt. But it would be far worse if you didn't hurt his feelings, wouldn't it? A child that needs to learn you can't just run out into the street without an adult or without looking both ways. They might get their feelings hurt if they're swatted on the backside or scolded harshly to try and convince them that they don't need to do that. But it would be far worse if we said, let's not hurt their feelings. And see, that's the world we live in today. Let's not hurt their feelings. Let it just take its course. How are we to be sanctified? by the Spirit of God, by us drawing closer to Him. Hebrews 2 and 11 says we're sanctified through Him, through Jesus Christ. We're made brothers of Jesus Christ. We're united to each other. We're united to Him in this sanctification process. And Hebrews chapter 2 and 11 tells us that. Also in John 17, 19, Jesus says, And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified. He says, I make myself holy that as they follow me, they too will become holy. This sanctification process. We are called to follow the pattern of Jesus Christ. Everything he has done. You see, there's a fine line here. We want to gray up the area. We want to make this broad gray area. No, it's a very fine line. There is right and there is wrong. There is good. There is evil. There is sin and there is righteousness. There is also grace. And Jesus extended grace to those who were in sin. And when he extended grace, he didn't say, okay, keep on sinning, don't worry about it. He said, now sin no more. Uh, th- there's this line. You've crossed it. And I'm not going to go over here and say, how dare you, and you need to, da, and get on da, da, da. Met them where they were. Loved them. Gave them the truth. Revealed their sin to them. Forgave that sin and said, now, sin no more. Lord. Go this. And today we want to say, well, you can't tell them which way to go. And say we want to say, well, you can't tell people how to live. Okay, fine. Rights. Isn't, isn't that the way of the world? My rights. Well, my privileges. Well. I look in the Word of God. I don't see anything about rights. I see everything about dying to self. <laughs> giving up my rights. I have become a slave of Jesus Christ. I'm His property. I belong to Him. I, I don't have rights I have privileges, I have promises, I have an inheritance through Jesus Christ, but I don't have rights. It's not about what makes me feel good. It's about chasing after Him. You know, and and I know we said this phrase back when we were talking about the, the search for revival, the quest for revival, but it remains true. We live in a world of people who want to feel better. They don't want to be better, they want to feel better. And Jesus said, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified. He wants to make us better. We are called to follow the pattern of Jesus Christ. Everything He has done, His deeds, His actions, His love, His compassion, and His, wait for it, holiness. Yeah. Oh, dang. We don't like that word today. That's legalism. You can't say holiness. Come on. He sanctifies us. He makes us holy. He declares us to be holy. He says, be ye holy as I am Holy. The word Christian means Christ-like. I can't just slap a bracelet on my wrist that says WWJD and say, I'm Christ-like. No, you're not. Not until you've done what Jesus is doing. Not until you've followed and you've obeyed and you've observed and you've surrendered your life to Him. Then I can say, I am becoming Christ-like. I'm following after that pattern of love and mercy, but also of holiness, living a lifestyle. I know I told you this story before, but great uh, missionary, David Livingston. He was in, I want to say it was, it, it was somewhere in Europe. It was in England. He was in England. And he had spent the weekend at a conference at a, at a prestigious university, and there was an atheist that was with him all weekend long. And they, and they just, he never tried to do anything, but the atheist was quoted as saying on Saturday afternoon, If I had to spend another two days with Mr. Livingston, I think I might have become a Christian. Not because he ever shared the gospel, not because he ever preached a single passage from it, but because his lifestyle has convinced me that he believes this to be very true. Just a sanctified lifestyle. Living in holiness and others looking at it, it stirs something in them. It affects them you and I have that same call, that same power, that same authority, that same drive to be sanctified. That the world might see us, that we might live well before others. The farther we follow Him, the less we are like the world. The farther I chase after Jesus, the less I'm saying, well, you know i got to add this, and i got to add this, and i gotta, I got to be like, well, you know, the world says it's okay to, uh, we gotta, we got to respect everybody's rights, and everybody wants this, and people want to change this and change that. we got to let them do it, you know, we can't stop. Where, where do I see that in the Word? Where does God say, oh, well, here's the Ten Commandments, but you know what, if you want to, if thou wants to lie and steal from your neighbor, okay, I guess I can't stop you. I'll overlook that. I don't see that in the Word of God, but I see that in the church today. If thou, if thou wants to covet or envy, if thou wants to, as long as the ends justifies the means, right? I mean, that's the world we live in. As long as I get the outcome I'm looking for, it doesn't matter how I got there. No, it 100% matters how you got there. The means will always justify the ends. Even if the end is a failure, even if the end is not what I wanted to have the outcome, the means will justify it because I'm able to maintain my integrity and maintain who I am if I will follow after Jesus Christ. Because the closer I follow Him, the less I look like the world. He sanctifies us. And the closer we are to a godly lifestyle. Why do we not hear about sanctification in the church? Because it requires a very unpopular topic. Turn with me, if you will, to First Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1, and we're going to read verse 15 and 16. The reason I don't hear much about sanctification in the church today is because it requires me to touch on a topic that is very upsetting to some. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 15 and 16 says this: But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, "Be holy for I am holy. Whoa, whoa, you can't start talking about holiness. That's legalism, and that's, that's drowning out free will, and that's drowning out freedom in Jesus. No, 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 no. The freedom in Jesus Christ, and Paul spelled it out very well. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Does that mean we go on sinning? By all means, no. So the question's already answered. Because a lot of times you're like, well, God's set me free. I can do whatever I want to do. no. No. Now I understand holiness has a bad rap because there's been times where man has taken holiness and become Pharisees with it. And I believe I gave you an example one time, and very briefly. I'll share it again. We're sitting in a testimony service, and you know, eventually it boils down to this uh, lady getting up and you know confessing, "We've been having an affair." You know, not me. Y'all looked at me, what? No, no, I was a kid when this happened. She points at a guy up front, he's a deacon in the church, and we've been having an affair for these so many months, a year and a half, whatever it is. But I want you to know in all that time, I never once wore makeup. Because she's holy, right? So I want you to understand, holiness has gotten a bad rap over the years. It has been turned into something it's not supposed to be. It's been turned into rules and regulations of man. But it's also been turned away as though it's not something God wants for us. No, He very much wants for us. And You can see in His Word, this is just one verse. We could go through verse after verse after verse where we're called to be holy, where we're told to live holy before Jesus Christ and before others. And wait a second, I can't do X, Y, and Z? Well, what does the Word of God tell you? But I have to do X, Y, and Z. Well, what does the Word of God tell you? It's unpopular because it's misunderstood. It's unpopular because people don't understand what it is to be holy, what it is to be sanctified, what it is to be set apart. It's not just about chores. It's not just about behavioral modification. It's not just about what I do or don't do. It's about how I follow Jesus Christ with my whole heart because He will make me holy. I'm not going to make me holy. I'm not going to do enough deeds to make myself holy, but I'm going to follow him. My righteousness is filthy rags, but I'm made righteous through Jesus Christ as I follow him. I'm sanctified, made righteous, made holy, set apart. This all goes together, but it's a process called being sanctified, being set apart. I have found too often when people start asking the question, do I have to do X, Y, and Z? Do I have to do this? Do I have to do that? Or do I have to not do this? Do I have to stay away from this? The real question they're asking is, and this is literally, the real question they're asking is, what's the minimum requirement to get into heaven? Because if you're going to ask me, what do I have to do? Follow Jesus Christ. But does that mean I have to? I don't know. What does the word say? Let's find out. Well, I want your opinion. No, you don't want my opinion. You want what you want to hear, but let's go to the Word of God and see what you need to hear. When we start asking questions, well, holiness, does that mean I have to stop doing this, this, and this? Does that mean I have to start doing it? We're asking the wrong question. We truly are. Because when we get to the heart of the matter, what is holiness? It is following Jesus Christ as closely as we can, observing His Word in obedience, and He is making us holy. We will not make ourselves holy by what we do or don't do. We will be made holy by following Jesus Christ as closely as possible. It is done by the washing of the Word. It is done by the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. The more you open to Him, the more you surrender yourself to Him, God begins to take over. God begins to have His way through your life and you are sanctified. You are set apart. There is no minimum. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 16, 24, Mark 9, 23, and also in, I'm sorry, Matthew 16, 24, Mark 8, 34, and Luke 9, 23, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It's all or nothing. Boy, we don't want to hear that. What do you mean it's all or nothing? It's all or nothing. Either I'm following Him wholeheartedly or I'm not really following Him. That's why sanctification is a process. I'm I'm not coming to the altar and then I pray a prayer and then I I, I truly and genuinely give my heart to Jesus Christ. I'm not instantaneously as holy as I'm going to be. I'm a babe in Christ. I need to grow. How do I grow? I grow on the Word. I grow on getting closer to Him. I grow through prayer, through times of worship, through times of more prayer, through times of corporate prayer, through times of alone prayer. And eventually as I grow and as I develop, and I grow and develop from reading His Word and studying His Word and being taught by His Holy Spirit, I will find out that I am being made holy through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit of God. But that doesn't happen if I don't follow Him. That doesn't happen if I just come to church on Sunday and I get on social media and tell everybody, hey, I'm a Christian. If I have to tell you I'm a Christian, eh. You ever notice a lion doesn't have to tell anybody it's a lion? They just know. When you see a lion, you don't have to wonder, I wonder, hey, are you, no, if you see a lion, I'm pretty sure you're looking for cover. When you see a Christian, you should know, oh, there's something different here. There's something you need. They, they don't have to go around telling everybody what they've got. They show it. That's why James said, show me your faith by your words. I'll show you my faith by my deeds. You know, he wasn't saying that you have to work to be saved. He was saying that if you're saved, you will work. It's just a natural fruit. It's a natural result of repentance. It's a natural result of chasing after Jesus Christ. It's all or nothing. It really is not some Jesus, some world. You can't do that. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Be ye transformed by the renewing of... No longer conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When the church starts saying, well, we have to accept sin. No, no, no. We can accept sinners. We can let them in the door. We can embrace them. We can love them. We can tell them that Jesus loves them, but we can also say, now go and sin no more. There comes a place where you got to say this is wrong. Let me help you get past it. But what Satan wants to do is alienate people, and he wants people to identify by my sin. That's why you have these issues today. Five years, ten years ago, you didn't hear about identity. I identify as this. I identify as that. I mean, you got stuff now. I, I've seen it on, on media. You know, there's a guy that won the NCAA track meet. Was it last week? But he says he's a girl, so he raced against the girls and set a new record for girls. And and, and, and I got and I got people who are saying, well, well, you can't judge him. No, God will judge him. I promise you that. But what I can do is point out, be careful because God's going to judge you, but he's offering grace right now. See, somewhere we've got to realize as a society, we crossed the line a long time ago. We're not crossing the line today. We crossed it a long time ago. Now we're just wandering around lost. I mean, in the Word of God, it, I don't have my phone. With, oh, it's recording. I wanted to look it up, and I don't have the text. I want to say it's in Timothy. But Paul talks about... Um, when he talks about uh, disobedient to parents and so on and so forth, he also says inventors of doing evil. They're inventing new sin. They're, 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 they're inventing new ways to sin. They're inventors of evil, inventors of sin. They're creating new ways to sin. That's where we're at today. We're at a place where we, we crossed the line. Oh, we're about to cross. No, no, no. We crossed the line a couple decades ago. Because we started just saying, oh, everything's, we're going to redefine this, we're going to allow this, we've got to overlook this, this has got to be a right, this has got to be a choice, this has got to be, we're, if it's, well, you guys are calling it sin, you can't do that. that, that used to be sin. The Bible's not relevant. No, the Bible's very relevant, believe me. And if you read it, you would realize how relevant it is right now. We are literally in our last days revival. When you see Kanye West putting out a Jesus album, you know we're in the last days, ladies and gentlemen. And you know what? I'm not preaching and condemning him. I believe he's young in Christ he's going to make mistakes and he's going to, but somebody needs to come alongside of him and encourage him and build him up in the Lord because what kind of impact could he have on the society around him? I've seen pastors come and say, well, he said a cuss word in his album. He doesn't really love the Lord. And he uses the D word somewhere in there. Malachi told me about this week. But pastors have been like, well, see, he doesn't really love Jesus Christ. All right, look. Somebody needs to come alongside of new Christians. Encourage them. Not beat them down. Build them up. My goodness gracious, a platform like that? Right. He's keeping up with the Kardashians all by himself, ain't he? Something like that. I don't know. He's married to one of them. I don't know everything about pop culture, but I know he's married to one of them. But here's the thing. If he says, I want to come to Jesus Christ, and he wants to preach Jesus Christ, somebody's got to get in his corner and say, all right, let me help you. Let me build you up. Let me encourage you. Let me feed you. Let me cause you to get to that place where you can do this. Yeah. Nate gave me some great news this morning. The head, the head of ISIS... They, they, he fell this morning. Yeah. And now we got to pray that God releases that. See, ISIS has had this grip on that area, killing Christians, slaughtering them. and We don't hear it in the media. Now, if you look at Voice of the Martyrs and you look at certain places, you'll hear it. You'll see it. But now, and, and I love what you said, let's hope that, that they get demoralized by this. Let's hope that they lose their uh, vigor, whatever it is, and that Christ is free to move in that area. Because I'm telling you, if Christ is let loose in that area... I mean, you're talking about people who were beheaded for their, 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 their testimony of Jesus Christ. This is revelation. Guys, it's happening right now. People say the Bible's not relevant. Read it and then look at what's happening. It's more than relevant. It's being played out before us. And now there's this opportunity. There's this window of opportunity where God is opening up. You see celebrities coming to Christ and people want to downplay it. Okay. You can downplay it if you want. Or you can jump on it and say, how can we encourage? How can we build this one up in the Lord? You see something like this happening in another country where Christians have been crushed, where Christians have been oppressed, and you say, God, open the door. Open the window that your word can flow freely now, that they can get this newfound revival, that something will be happening. You may not hear about it on Channel 9, but you'll hear about it somewhere because God's going to begin to move because the church is being sanctified, set apart for this last day revival. God does not desire to torture the world and destroy the world. God desires that the world might be saved. And how will they know if no one tells them? And how will anyone tell them if they're not sent? But trust me, you and I are sent as messengers of Jesus Christ. We have the ministry of reconciliation. And a ministry of reconciliation does not allow me to say, "Ah, that's okay, you're sinning. I'm not going to judge your sin. You go ahead and keep doing it. I'm not going to do that. I can't do that. I won't do it. And the enemy will get behind and say, oh, you hate him. He'll, he'll, He'll lob these bombs at you. Oh, you hate him. Oh, you're judgmental. Oh, you don't know what you're talking about. And do anything to try and discredit your character and discredit what it is. This isn't love. But you know what? The God I serve is greater than any enemy. The God I serve, when you raise that shield of faith, will quench every fiery dart of the enemy. And when we put on our armor and we get ready to go into a spiritual battle, and we talk about spiritual battle, it's not physical fighting and pushing around and making my voice heard, it's praying. It's me getting to a place where I'm praying through tears, praying through emotion, praying, my God, would you move? My God, would?" and then going and finding somebody who's unlovable and loving them, and going and finding somebody who's lost and just loving them and praying with them. That's what spiritual warfare is. Spiritual warfare isn't me going out and holding a sign saying I'm better than you. Spiritual warfare is me finding a quiet place to get before the Lord and just pouring my heart out. God use me. God use me, please, to help somebody. God, let your spirit flow. You know, in his book, The God Chasers, I know I've told you this before too, Tommy Tenney writes about a a class, a Bible class, and they begin to pray. And for a week they prayed. For a week they just prayed, and they didn't even know why. They were in class in seminary class, and the Spirit just moved in this class, and they began to pray. There was even reported there was one boy who leaned against the wall, and as he was praying, there was literally a puddle of tears on the ground from they had been praying for hours. And every day they came to this class, they continued to pray, and continued to pray for this place in Peru that they didn't hear of, they didn't know about, they didn't know what was going on, but he happened to be a guest speaker in that class a couple weeks later. And while they were praying, he was in Peru, and they didn't even know it. And God opened the door for a great revival because of their prayers. That's spiritual warfare. That's when Christians go to fight against the enemy. They find themselves in prayer. They find themselves chasing God. They find themselves in a place of humility, not a place of aggression per se physically, but a place of spiritual power and authority. There's no minimum for following Jesus. It's all or nothing. Let's go back to the text. In First Thessalonians chapter 4, look at verse 4. It says that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. I need to know how to conduct myself in a way that brings honor to the Lord. I need to know how to conduct myself in a way that is sanctified, that is different from the way the world thinks. You see, the thinking of the world is tainted. It's been poisoned, if you will by the influence of satan the way the world thinks is if it feels good do it the ends justifies the means you can't judge me you can't tell me what's right and wrong truth is relative all of those things are wrong all of them but i need to know how to conduct myself with honor with sanctification to bring glory to god each of us need to know that verse 7 and 8 and this is the important part. for God did not call us to uncleanness, but here's that word again, holiness. Now here is the disclaimer. Therefore he who rejects this does not reject man but God, who has also given us His holy Spirit. God call you and I to holiness. God has called His people to holiness. God has called the church to holiness. Therefore, whoever rejects this is not rejecting a preacher, is not rejecting an idea, is not rejecting a thought of holiness. They are rejecting God Himself because they're rejecting the Word of God. The Word of God calls us to be holy. The Word of God calls us to follow Christ. We are made holy by following Him because the more we follow Him, the less we're like the world, the more we're sanctified, the more we're set apart, the more we're... Holy, not because of what we've done, but because of what He's done and what He's done through us. Finally, in verse 12, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. What a witness we have when we are sanctified. It is a process, it's a continuous process. It requires continuous growth to be sanctified, to be set apart, to be consecrated, to be made holy for service to the Lord. God desires to use you. And we live in a world of darkness that needs truth. This world needs you and I now more than it ever has. I'm going to give you one more scripture before we end and it's found in First Peter chapter 1 and it's actually 10 verses. 1 Peter chapter 1. Actually, I'm just going to jump down to verse 3 and start there. Go 3 through 10. And it says, Blessed be the God. And we've read this before, but church, it it bears constant repeating. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away. Reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in this last time. In this you greatly rejoice now. For a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. And when when we're in this world, there will be trials. There will be tough times. Verse 7, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes through, if tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy and expressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I'm just going to stop there. To be sanctified, we behave differently. We we operate differently. We walk differently. We understand that the trials we go through, they're actually for our good. They test our faith. They cause us, they bring out a holiness in us. Why? Because we have options. We have choices in those trials. I have choices to either do it the way man says or do it the way God says. I can either jump on the bandwagon of the world, and this is the world that says facts don't matter, we just got to argue better. Or I can chase after God whose truth is relevant, whose truth is objective, whose truth is, stands alone throughout time, unchanging, and has set me free. There's one more text, and I'm not going to go to it, but I'm going to recommend you go to it. It's in 2 Peter and and read this today. And this is one I really want you to, to to meditate on. And it's ironically, it's also in chapter one and it's the first ten verses. Remember when we said more and more earlier? And now this is again a very familiar portion. We've preached out of this portion twice that, so far. Goodness, adding to